We're in a series called Christmas Stories. You're not going to find it in Mark, okay? Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, where we're going to look at this story. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse, uh, where is it? Verse 18. Okay, follow along with me. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was, was uh, faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God's with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now we're going to jump down in chapter 2 down to verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the, the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know very many newlyweds that go through as many problems as this couple had. It's like trouble from the get-go, from the very beginning. So I thought with as many trouble down in verse 13... with Joseph and Mary in their new relationship and apply some things to ourself and, and our own relationships. So I'm going to share some marriage lessons from the Christmas story. I got five of them, and all of them come from a three-letter word. And the first one is the word but, dealing with reversals. Uh, when, you, when you came in, you should have gotten a fill-in-the-blank outline there. And if you want to write fill-in-the-blanks with these words, it'll help you retain it. The word is but, and it's talking about dealing with reversals. Uh, did, did you catch it there in verse 18? Here's, here's the reversal. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph or engage. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. It's kind of interesting 
If you allow the Holy Spirit to have a major role in your life, He will mess things up. He's not interested in our plans, in our dreams, in our goals. He's interested in the Father's dreams and goals for us. And if we let the Holy Spirit into our life, as I did years ago, and as many as you have, almost guaranteed, as soon as you do things, as soon as you do that, things are going to begin to change in your life. You don't get your way anymore. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you're surrendering it to the Holy Spirit, and He gets His way. And it won't always be pleasant, because He's trying to take us someplace we'd, we haven't chosen to go. So everything God does is, is new in our lives. The Holy Spirit messes up our plans and begins to develop God's plans in us. And we're not going to end up anywhere near what our plan was. It's going to be God's plan. And trust me, it's going to be a whole lot better. Because the Holy Spirit's just doing something different than we do in our natural mind. So one of, the, one of the problems, the reversals that we have in our marriages is unrealistic expectations. We thought it was going to be like this. And now that I'm married, I find out it's not anything that I thought it was going to be. Unrealistic expectations. You see, if, if you are like my wife, and you like Hallmark movies and Disney movies, you have a perception of romance. And we get married thinking that's the way it's going to be. And we find out that that may be a nice picture beforehand, but it's not a very realistic picture afterwards. And so we have to adjust to that. Women expect one thing out of marriage. Men expect another thing out of marriage. We get married, and we all have a rude awakening. It's not what we thought it was going to be. Unrealistic expectations. The Holy Spirit's trying to do a new thing in us, and He's not going to let us stay where we've been. He's going to take us where we haven't been before. And isn't that why we get married in the first place? We want to go someplace we haven't been before? Okay, so that's the first one, dealing with reversals. The second lesson I want us to see <clears throat> is uh, in verse 19. I'll read that again to refresh your memory. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her privately. Now, this was an engagement, but their engagements in Jewish culture at this time was much, was much more commitment than engagements are today. I mean, you had to, if you're going to break it off, you had to get a divorce because you got mom and dad, everybody's involved here in this pledge to be married. And so it had to be something official. But it says Joseph was faithful to the law. That's the three-letter word. And the blank after that is the, the requirement of Flexibility. You are never going to have a happy marriage if you don't learn how to be flexible. 
you got to bend a little bit. It's awful quiet in here. If you want to say amen, that encourages me. Because I'm going, I'm going in dangerous territory here, but I'm trying to help everybody. We have to understand this flexibility thing. God established the law. He's the author of the law. The law was his idea to tell us how we ought to live our lives. If we want to be happy, if we want to feel fulfilled, we've got to follow these values. So God establishes the law. But the nature of the law is it is rigid. The law doesn't bend. The law is the law. And God established the Mosaic law, and it is rigid. And Joseph was faithful to the rigid law. On the other hand, he cares about Mary. And he's not going to look like he's faithful to the law. He's going to look like he's a little, uh, a little bit of a rebel. He doesn't want to look like that. He wants to be honorable. And if Mary, his girlfriend, is pregnant, he's got to do something with that. What's he going to do? He decides to divorce her privately, quietly, so not to shame her, but yet maintains his own honor at the same time. Somebody's going to get hurt here. Why did God allow this setup to happen? Why did God arrange this? Does God get some kind of a kick out of watching people in pain, watching people's lives messed up? No, God's got something good He's going to bring out of this. God is the author of the law. He is also the provider of grace. You see the opposite here? The law is rigid. It doesn't bend. Grace is, is an overabundance of forgiveness and mercy because it cares and it wants to build up and it wants to give life. There's opposites here. And Joseph is caught in the middle, the law. Marriage requires compromise between the law, the way you think it ought to be, and grace, which says, I love you, so I'm not going to hold you to it. You see this? Law and grace, those are opposites. People who are on the law end have a hard time because the law is rigid. They have a hard time with the flexibility thing because flexibility is grace. So in a marriage relationship, if we're going to have happy relationships, we have to work on this flexibility thing. Because divorce is the death of a dream. And God wants to give us new dreams Big dreams, better dreams. He's going to take us someplace. Somebody say amen. Encourage me here, and I'll give you good news. The requirement of flexibility. In your marriage relationship, you got to be flexible. It cannot be your way all the time. You got to bend, you got to loosen up a little bit. Marriage is all about two opposites coming together. Not just opposite male and female, but opposite in the way we're wired, in the way we function, in the way we think. You were attracted to that person originally for a reason. There was something in them you saw. There's something in them that met a need in you. 
It's the opposite side of you. And so when you got married, it's the two opposites coming together. And I'm going to expound on that in this next thing, the next lesson. It's in uh, verse 20. Let me just go back and read verse 20 for you. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in Luke's account, we see that the same angel came to Mary and explained to Mary what was happening. It's kind of a good idea if God wants to mess your life up, if he tells you what's going on, if he tells you why. That would sure help. Don't you wish God would speak more often about why he's letting these things happen to you? So the three-letter word here is the word new. You won't find it in the text, but that's basically what he's talking about. Because God is doing a renovation in you. You know what a renovation is? When, uh, when my wife and I uh, were, well, it was, after, it was in the first year of our marriage, <clears throat> but we moved into a house that had been renovated. Mostly renovated. There's still some that had to go. You know, with an old house that's 150 years old, uh, you get some cracks in the plaster. You know, and some of the walls, they could put a little bit of plaster on there and kind of smooth it out. But with other walls, you just put wallpaper on it and hope that's not going to show too much. And then there are other walls, you just got to get your hammer and crowbar and get in and rip the whole thing out and start over again. That's renovation. Well, you've got to tear out the old so you can build in the new. God knows He's got to do that with you and me. He's got to renovate us. We open our hearts to Christ. We ask the Lord to come into our life, forgive our sin, give us another chance, and the Spirit comes in and begins the renovation project. That's why so many Christians fall away right away, within the first month or so of making a decision, because God begins renovating, tearing out the old that doesn't, it's not going to bear any fruit, so He can rebuild again. And people don't like that, so they run away from God. If we'll hang on and let God finish the project, it's going to be a real nice house when He gets done with it. Amen. But it's going to take about 40, 50 years in most of our lives before He gets done with it. Amen? Amen. He's still working on me. I haven't arrived yet. I'm working on it. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. God permitting, we will do so. We can't keep going back to our kindergarten lessons on Christianity. It's time for a lot of us to move on into college, get some higher education. He wants us to move beyond the basics of what, 
what Christianity is all about and start practicing those things. Start putting uh, rubber to the road. Start applying our faith to our marriage. Applying it. Let me try to illustrate this. Let's say men are blue and women are yellow. We have a wedding ceremony and the blue and the yellow get married. If they also invite Jesus Christ into their relationship, he's like a color diffuser. And the blue doesn't turn out blue. And the yellow doesn't turn out yellow. They both turn out green. You see what I'm saying? In a marriage relationship, the wife influences the husband and the husband influences the wife over a lifetime. And neither one of them ends up just what they used to be. So if you are still blue or yellow... I'll guarantee you, you got problems in your marriage because it's all about you. We've got to listen to the other side. We were attracted to them because they had something we didn't have. Now we need to let that change us in our hearts down on the inside. We need to let God do a re renewal, a renovation within us. Amen. Amen. We have a couple in our church uh, that attend one of the services on Sunday morning. Not going to mention their name because I don't want to embarrass them. <clears throat> but uh, the, the mother brought her kids to church here and checked them in. And after she was here a couple weeks, she came and talked with me. And she said the problem that they had was she was raised Catholic. And her husband was raised Methodist. And her Methodist husband would not go with her to the Catholic church. So she tried going to the Methodist church, but there was a bunch of old people there, and they didn't have anything for the kids, and she wanted something for her children. So she said, we decided we're going to come here to New Hope as a good compromise. <laughs> and I thought... New Hope is a compromise between the Catholics and the Methodists? <laughs> I don't know, but it's okay with me. And they're, and they're coming. They, they came because they wanted their kids involved. You see, here's an example of blue and yellow that didn't get along, but they found how to be green. And if you want to have a happy, successful, thriving marriage relationship, you have to communicate, listen to what the other person's saying, and come up with a green strategy. How can we do this so everybody wins? That's how Christ gets glorified. Okay, let's go to number four, because it's 7.02 already. Here's the fourth thing. Uh, it's in verse 21, and I'll read verse 21. The angel said, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, which is what the name Jesus means, Savior. So the three-letter word is son. 
And the point is, God is regenerating a new generation through you. God is rebuilding, regrowing, regenerating a new generation through you. That's parenthood. That's what parents do. We bring into this earth new life, and then we spend about 17, 18 years investing in that new life, trying to teach them how to be successful by our example. Some of us haven't done a very good job of that. But that's, that, that's what this is all about. So that we can instill values in our children that's a new generation through us. So don't fear talking to your children about the tough topics. And don't wait till it's too late. Talk about the tough, tough topics while they're moldable. While, they're, while they can learn. Such as the topic of responsibility. You cannot be successful or happy as an adult if you don't take responsibility for your actions. If you don't assume responsibility for making your family a better family, making your church a better church, making your community a better community, we have somebody's got to be responsible. We can't just let somebody else do all that. Being a good citizen is we all step in and we all take, a, take our place and we all make it a better place. But if we don't teach our kids that, they're going to grow up and not know that. And I think that's one of the problems in our, in our culture. Mom and, mom and dad have done everything for our kids. So our kids grow up and they just assume somebody's going to do it for me. And we have to take responsibility. So we need to let our kids see us being responsible. Let our kids, while they're little, let them see us put something in the kettle when they're ringing the bell. Let our kids see that. So we're teaching them this is the way it's done. This is how we do it. We should let our kids hear us discuss how we're going to deal with this difficulty. You see, if you hide your financial pressures from your children and you just, this is my problem, not theirs. I try to protect my kids so I don't let them see that we have money problems. When they grow up, they're going to assume they're never going to have money problems. You need to teach them. Let them see you sweat a little bit. Let them see you pray over situations, pray for people. You're being a model them for them. You're showing them how to take responsibility, how to be responsible. And if they see you pray, you're teaching them by example about your recognition of spiritual battles. Because that's, that's what we're fighting when we pray, spiritual battles. Our kids need to understand that there's a spiritual enemy out there that doesn't want them progressing. And we need to teach them that while they're little. Don't, don't, don't keep reality away from them because you want to shelter them. The devil doesn't play that game. You know, we need to be real with our kids. And don't be afraid to talk to your children about sexuality. By the time they hit the sixth grade, all the kids in their class are talking about it. They don't know what they're talking about because they don't understand the basics, but they're talking about it. They've seen things on TV. They've listened to kids in the neighborhood, the, the older kids. They're talking about it because sixth grade is when curiosity begins rising up with boys and girls. 
and they don't know where they fit, and they don't understand these things, if you don't teach them, they're going to learn it from the kids across the street, down at the school. I would rather you do it. Lay that foundation before it's too late, and you have to sit down and have the hard talk with them. And, and look at verse 25 before we, we go on to that last point. Verse 25, it says, But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Some things are worth waiting for. Thank you. Wanted to make sure you heard that. Let's go on to this last point, number five. It's, it's uh, in chapter 2 down in verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Because there's an enemy that wants to take his life. That wants to kill him. So point number five is the three-letter word is run. It's not in the text, but that, that's certainly the teaching. Run. Because God is redirecting your future. God wants to redirect your future. And you can't stay where you are and have it redirected. So God will pull a fast one on you. He wants to move you to his territory. The place where you work and you're relying on, on an income, going to file bankruptcy, close the doors, move out of state. Oh, we didn't plan on this. God's redirecting you. Or you get a better job. Hey, wouldn't that be wonderful? But you have to leave your family. You have to leave your church family. You have to leave all your social network, and you have to move someplace else for that job. That happens. That can be God redirecting you. Or you lose the job altogether and have to go somewhere else. Now, that's a time for a fresh start. But God's got a way of doing this. God rerouted Joseph's life. Why? Because you need to seek a safe haven for your son. Seek a safe haven. I have always felt that this church, New Hope Christian Center, under my watch, is a safe haven for people to come. People with a bad history. People with a bad past. People who have been hurt and wounded by life. Maybe in another church out there. I've always wanted it to be a safe place here. And I continue to want it to be a safe place here. I don't care about your past. I care about your future. I care about where you're going, not where you've been. I'm not so concerned about your failures as I am your potential successes. I want to help you be what God wants you to be. And I want that to be the flavor of our whole church. I want all of us to have that attitude. Safe place. Safe haven. Maybe you never thought about baby Jesus being a refugee. Being an illegal alien. Whereas mom and dad had to leave by night to get him out of this place and take him down to Egypt where he didn't belong, where he didn't know anybody, where he had no job security, didn't know where he was going. That's the origin of Jesus on this earth as a refugee. 
And I want us to be a safe place. So if you ever feel that this church doesn't treat you fairly because the color of your skin or your rap sheet from the past or your history, we're not treating you fair, you come and tell me about that. I'll be your advocate. I'll stand in as your defense attorney. I'm going to make sure our church treats everybody equal because the ground is level at the cross for all of us, for every one of us. So I want my life to be a shepherd for lost souls. I want to help people who are lost come into the kingdom. I want you to help me reach out to people who are lost and bring them into the kingdom. We're not going to quiz people on where they've been. We're going to coach them on where they're going to go. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand together. So obviously my, my theme, uh, how I felt God direct me with this part of the Christmas story was marriages and how we've got to let Jesus be the third party. He's got to be the third party in our relationship, the husband, the wife, and Jesus. And he's the color diffuser. He's the one that works us together so that we come out the green and not just the blue or the yellow. I hope that that analogy kind of works for you. I did a wedding today. And in this wedding, they, they had sand, colored sands. You know, you've seen sand ceremony and the... And the, the, the bride was over here, and the groom was over here, and they took these, it was blue and red in this case, and they poured those sands together. By the time they got done, that sand wasn't blue or red. It was purple. See what happened? Got mixed up. God wants us to mix each other up. Amen. Amen. Diffuse our color so that we become something entirely different. That's God's plan for what he wants to do. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Father, we're in this boat together. Everyone in this room that's married knows what it is to have Satan try to drive a wedge between us. And Father, we thank you that you're always the grace God who brings us back together. So Father, we, I, I pray for marriages that you're going to seal us God, you're going to bring us together and seal us to be the people you want us to be. I pray that you're going to help every marriage become stronger, so, so strong that it becomes a witness for people out there in the world <clears throat> who have troubled marriages. Let us be examples for others. Bless us as we uh, walk out of this room, and uh, we pray that you'll help us to build relationships again out there. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go with God. He loves you. If you have a prayer need, there'll be people here to pray with you.